So we're on week two of this series, How to Get Killed in Six Days. And so we've been going through the last six days of Jesus' life and, and what that means for us, what his sacrifice ultimately means for us. And today, John's gonna be talking to us about how we kill people, how do we kill people pleasing? Not people, that would have been bad. Okay, um, you never know, John, you know. Uh, so how do we kill people pleasing in our lives and how do we really find life and freedom in trying to please God with our lives? So I don't know if you're a big uh, Jimmy Kimmel fan, but I love watching his show at night. And he has this really cool game he does with celebrities. And one of the games he does is he says, okay, as a celebrity, you get a lot of people to write angry tweets about you. And what he does, he has them read it in his show. And so we actually did a little mock version of that. We, had, we gathered tweets other people have written about our pastors, and we made a little video for you. So it's real nice. Check this out. Uh, at John Burke, sailing stories are like the life of pie, lonely and boring. <laughs> <laughs> You've never been sailing, whoever you are. All right, uh, I am convinced there's a hole in the ozone because of the amount of hairspray at Rob Overholt must <laughs> his hair. Yes, it's uh, true. It's not even mean or funny. <laughs> At Eric Bryant had a dream where he saw himself 30 years in the future. He awoke only to realize it was about Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag X-Men. The X-Men guy. Yeah, that's right. That's oh, right. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, Kenny Green buys his jeans at Sherwin-Williams. Skinny jeans. Hashtag skinny jeans. Hashtag paint them on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're not skinny. Ooh. They're actually slim. There's a difference. Uh, <laughs> but they're stretchy. All right. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. We know at John Burke, you're amazing at football. I mean, soccer. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. All right. One of you probably did that one. Just no, no. uh, retweet. Who's at Rob Overholt? Retweet. <laughs> 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 oh. So, uh, scarce is to abundant what at Eric Bryant is to tall, dark, and full of hair. <laughs> Hashtag opposites. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> if Kenny Green mentions tribe one more time during his message, I swear I'm going to at Shoreline. <laughs> <laughs> tribe, huh? <laughs> at Rob Overholt seems like the kind of guy that would post his own quote on Facebook. <laughs> I think I've seen you do that. Yeah, I like to say that. Like, I've always said. At Kenny M. Green seems like a guy who wasn't supposed to be a pastor, but he slipped through the cracks and everyone was just like, okay. <laughs> That's about right. Actually. We weren't supposed to tell that. <laughs> At John Burke. Uh, love soccer because there are no height requirements. <laughs> Come on, stand up next to me. Look! Look, yeah. Look! Oh, yeah, it is. All right, uh, at Eric Bryan has so much positivity, he makes Pollyanna look like a neurotic pessimist. <laughs> Hashtag rose-colored glasses. <laughs> Thank God Kenny Green is just a hipster instead of a lumberjack. While hunting once, he asked where the gluten-free tacos live. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks a lot, guys. Feeling the love. <laughs> oh, people can be so mean, can't they? 
Well, you know, it's true, like with social media now, people just have zero filter. Have you noticed that? Uh, but you know, the, the, the more troubling thing than, than people who are just mean for mean sake is, is how much it tends to get to us and how we can, we can inadvertently, you know, live for people's approval out on social media. And it's, it's addictive, right? It's like mirror, mirror on my Facebook wall. You know, who's the fairest, hippest, most cool, likable, like, like, like me, please, of them all, you know? And, and it gets addictive. And in fact, research has documented how Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all these have given rise to this growing obsession of image management, you know, where, where we end up searching forever for the perfect Instagram photo filter, you know, to make us look just right, or spend so much time crafting that, that perfect humble blog you can put out on Facebook to show the world what a wonderful life you have. And the reality is, uh, you know, other research found that those who spend more time on Facebook and social media have a positive correlation that they will have a greater tendency to think others lead better lives and are happier. No, they're just better at portraying selective reality than you are. Because think about it. I mean, whoever says what's really going on, had another fight with hubby tonight, like yesterday, you know, or, you know, feeling those condemning thoughts again, just thought I'd let you know, you know, no, it's selective reality. Now, I'm not going to bash social media because I actually think social media is a wonderful gift. Uh, it allows you to stay up with friends. It allows you to know what's going on, to care about each other. You can have a positive influence at great distances around the world. So it can be good, but it can also feed this people-pleasing obsession that will kill the life you really want and kill the life God wants to give you. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, because all of us have fans and critics in our heads. We all struggle with this. We have people that we've wanted to please, and maybe they were people we grew up with, and we were trying to show them that we're worth something, or maybe we were trying to prove ourselves to them, or maybe they're people you don't even know. You know, you know sometimes we give people power over us because we care about their opinions, and, and they may be people who you know, don't really even know us. It's like the saying goes, we, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like, right? But how true it is. And so today, we're gonna look at whether we need to die to this people-pleasing tendency. So I wanna give you a little diagnostic, okay? What, to see, do I struggle with living for the opinion of others? Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand if you're an obsessive people pleaser, okay? So you don't have to do that to please me. But I just want you to be honest with yourself. Do you find yourself doing things to impress others often? You know, do you find yourself wanting people to notice? Do you find yourself maybe name dropping? Or think about this. If you achieved all your goals and nobody knew and nobody cared except God, would that be okay? How would you feel? Do you badly need people's positive feedback in order to feel good about yourself? Are you critical of others or arrogant about others? Look down on others because that is usually because we fear judgment. We fear criticism. Do you become angry or depressed when people point out a mistake or criticize you? Or do you find yourself always trying to figure out what people think of you? Or maybe do you hide your beliefs or your faith because you fear 
people's rejection. Now, the truth is, all of us, at least some point in life, have battled with trying to please people to some degree, but we're not really free to fully follow God or fully be ourselves when we're trying so hard to please people. So today we're picking up in part two of how to get killed in six days. And we're looking at Jesus' path to the cross and how he is inviting us to follow him and die to these things that get in the way of the life that God wants us to live coming up in us and through us. And I guess our, our title for this series and our, uh, the banner that they made, you know, the kind of Kill Bill graphic look was, uh, was a, good, a good one, a good sign because our sign out front got taken down, it got stolen. Someone stole the sign off a church. I guess that's a good sign. Then we found out Great Hills Baptist stole it. That's just wrong. No, not really. We did find it. But Jesus is going to be killed and he knows it. Uh, And we're tracing his path his last six days. And he's asking us, will we follow him? He's going to die. He's going to die to set us free to truly live. See, he's going to pay the price so that all who realize they need God's forgiveness, they need God's love and guidance, once and for all time can know we're right with the ruler of the universe. Now think about that. He's going to set us free because if you know that you're right with the only one whose opinion really matters, then you're free. If you, you can die to trying to prove yourself to the world. You can be set free of that. But to truly live in that freedom, we have to kill those things that stand in the way of God's life coming through us. And people pleasing is one of those we've got to put to death. So Jesus, last week we looked at, went from dinner in Bethany, uh, and then Mary anoints him, then Judas decides to betray him, and then he gets on this donkey and he rides down the Mount of Olives, and the people start to proclaim him king and Messiah. And then we find him later that week in the temple. Watch this. Some Greeks were among those who had gone to Jerusalem to worship during the festival. They went to Philip. He was from Bethsaida in Galilee and said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And the two of them went and told Jesus. The hour has now come for the Son of Man to receive great glory. I'm telling you the truth. A grain of wheat remains no more than a single grain unless it is dropped into the ground and dies. If it does die, then it produces many grains. Those who love their own life will lose it. Those who hate their own life in this world will keep it for life eternal. Whoever wants to serve me must follow me. 
so that my servant will be with me where I am, and my father will honor anyone who serves me. Shall I say, Father, do not let this hour come upon me. But that is why I came. So that I might go through this hour of suffering. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven. I have brought glory to it, and I will do so again. The crowd standing there heard the voice, and some of them said it was thunder, while others said an angel spoke to him. It is not for my sake that this voice spoke, but for yours. Now is the time for this world to be judged. Now the ruler of this world will be overthrown. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to me. Even then, many of the Jewish authorities believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not talk about it openly, so as not to be expelled from the synagogue. They loved human approval rather than the approval of God. Jesus said in a loud voice, Whoever believes in me, believes not only in me, but also in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees also him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. If people hear my message and do not obey it, I will not judge them. I came not to judge the world, but to save it. Those who reject me and do not accept my message have one who will judge them. The words I have spoken will be their judge on the last day. This is true because I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has commanded me what I must say and speak. And I know that his command brings eternal life. What I say then is what the Father has told me to say. So we're focused in here on John chapter 12, and we don't know exactly when in that last six days this event in the temple happened, but we know that the Pharisees have decided Jesus is too much of a threat. He has to be killed. And we know Judas has decided to betray him, to turn him over. And, and why would he even need to do this? Well, because everyone, all the Jewish people were believing in him. They were hailing him Messiah and, and King. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and news is spreading everywhere and everybody is believing and the Jewish authorities, they need to quietly arrest him so that an uprising doesn't happen. So Judas agrees to betray him. Jesus goes into the temple, and first he cleanses it. Now the temple that you, that you saw here, this is the place where the Jews would come every year for Passover from all over the land of Israel and others from around the world who, who were God-fearers, they would come to, to Jerusalem for the Passover. And every Passover, people would bring a lamb 
and a lamb would be sacrificed for the payment of their sins for the previous year. And only the high priest could go in with the blood of the lamb into the holiest place, the holy of holies in the temple, and he would pour the blood, sacrificed for, for their sins for that previous year on what was called the mercy seat of God. And this had been going on for 1,500 years since the time of Moses because it was a yearly foretelling that God set up of what the Messiah would do as the final Passover lamb. See, all of this had been foretold for thousands of years by prophets. And so even when Jesus enters Jerusalem on the donkey and they hail him Messiah, the prophet Zechariah foresaw this 520 years before and wrote this in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is, is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. And yet he's humble. He's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. See, this will be a global king because of the covenant I made with you. What covenant? The one sealed in blood that Jesus is about to do. And I will free your prisoners from death because of that. Free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. So 550 years after Zechariah writes this, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. The crowds hail him, King and Messiah. They were expecting him to throw, throw off the Roman oppressors, to triumph over them. But they selectively read the prophets. They put aside the ones they didn't want to hear, the ones like Isaiah in Isaiah 53 who said, first though, he must be crucified to pay for all our sins because all of us, turn away from God. And that's why we have no peace. So he has to pay the price that we might have peace with God. And that's why Jesus, when he's riding in on the donkey, he's coming down the Mount of Olives and he stops and he gets off and he looks out over Jerusalem and he starts to cry. He starts to weep. And look at what he says. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace... But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What Jesus is saying is when we reject God, when we push God out of our lives because we want to rule, we get what we want. And everybody trying to rule the world is just chaos. And so their rejection of him was going to lead to their enemies coming in and triumphing over him. Jesus predicted this. And it happened in real history. This is real history. So 1,500 years of Jewish sacrifice ended 40 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Why? Well, because the Roman general Titus came in, leveled Jerusalem, destroyed the temple just as Jesus predicted that day and it's, the temple still has not been rebuilt. The Dome of the Rock stands in its place and that's why all Jewish sacrifice ended at Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus was meant to be the final Passover lamb once for all time to pay for the sins of all people for all time. And this is real history, foretold so that we could know this is the real God. 
And so that we won't reject him based on people's opinions so that we can really know how God feels about us and what he'll do for us. Don't reject Jesus because of what people say. Have you really searched it out for yourself? You know, their opinion doesn't count at all. They will never stand in judgment of you. There's only one who has the right to judge. And he wants to set you free from all fear of judgment. And so Jesus is going to do that. He's going to be the final Passover lamb. To die for the sins of all people who know they need God's forgiveness and leadership and receive it. And once for all time. And as I said last week, the Pharisees, you know, who were going to kill Jesus had mixed motives. They said they were doing all this out of love for God. But in Matthew 23, Jesus tells, tells them what their real motive is. Their real motive is that they idolize things about their own power and prestige more than they worshiped God. And so when, it, when, when God threatened what they really worshiped, they killed him. They, they pushed him out. But as it goes on and says in John 12, many Pharisees and religious leaders of that day did believe. Look at what it says in John 12. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him, many of them. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's Isaiah 53, which goes on to say why the Messiah must die. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders did believe in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they'd be put out of the synagogue for they loved, the pray, they loved human praise more than the praise of God. And then Jesus cries out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me has seen the one who sent me. I've come into this world as a light so that anyone, no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus came to set you and me free. You know, he made it very clear that when you see him, you're seeing the God that you can't fathom, who lives beyond our time and space. We can't even imagine the God who created the billions and billions of galaxies, right? But he said, I came to reveal him and to show the heart of God in a way you can understand. And he doesn't hold back anything from us. He lays down what is most precious to humanity, our very lives. What more can you give than that? And he lays down his life so that all who want to can be made right with God by faith. Do you realize that? You don't have to earn right standing with God. You don't have to prove you're good enough. You don't have to jump through a bunch of religious hoops to know you're right with God. Jesus paid so that you can know that if you just turn back to him and accept his forgiveness and leadership. But what Jesus is saying is even when we know we're secure with him, we can keep on living in darkness rather than walking in the light when we live to please people. What can people do for you or do to you? In the end, nothing. Why do you care what they think at all? People don't matter at all compared to the one who created you and loves you. And yet when we so often keep living for the praise of people, what ends up happening is we get manipulated. And then we end up doing stupid things. And I mean, just stop and think about all the stupid things you have done over your life because everyone was doing it or all your friends were doing it. You were afraid of what people would think or you're afraid of being rejected. I mean, my list is long. <laughs> I go all the way back to when my, my friends all thought playing with fire was cool. 
And I wanted to fit in. So what I do, I, I get model airplane glue and I put it all over my tennis shoes and I light them on fire and run out in front of cars and make them screeched, you know? And, and everybody said, oh, you're so funny, John. And, and when that got boring, we decided, hey, you know what? If we get a, a, a paint can of paint thinner and light it, it's like an eternal flame. How cool. Bad idea. And so we take it back into this forest and, and it, it really does burn forever until it spills and all of it spills down a hillside of dry leaves and start a three alarm fire. Could have burned down the whole neighborhood. And you would think we would learn, right? But living to please people makes you crazy stupid and you keep doing crazy stupid things. So then several years later, we decide, no, now what's cool is making bombs. So we're back in the same forest making Molotov cocktails and one blows up in my face. Yeah, blinded me for three months. The doctor said, we don't know if he'll see or not. We'll have to wait till the bandages come off. I still have pits in my eyes from the chlorine. And, and you know, you'd think that would do it, but no. We get to 13 and all my friends decide, forget the Texas Department of Public Safety. It's time to learn to drive. So we start sneaking our parents' cars out at three in the morning and playing chase around the neighborhoods. Fun and games for a whole summer until one night I'm following uh, Scotty in his parents' car. Scotty and Ken are ahead of us and they're going down the street and Scotty hadn't hit his growth spurt yet. So he has to sit on two phone books and a pillow just to see over the dashboard, right? Um, by the way, if you are in middle school, this is a very bad idea, okay? <laughs> and, and so he's going into this intersection and he goes to hit the brakes and slips off the phone books and his foot lodges on the gas and I watch in horror as they go through that intersection, launch over the curb, across the yard and into a kitchen. They literally got out in someone's kitchen and we ran. Stupid again. You know, we actually thought we could get away with it because we could just say, hey, the car was stolen. Except they found Scotty's pillow with the name Scotty embroidered on it. <laughs> well, mom, the thief stole my pillow and then the car. Yeah. Living for the approval of people makes us do stupid things. You know, I wasn't even in high school yet. I was just getting going. <laughs> and it gets way less funny and it gets way more tragic, doesn't it? Because some of us know where it goes from there. And we end up doing immoral and unethical things. We do things that hurt us, that hurt others. Some of those consequences we're still living with today. We end up living by comparison or feeling proud or resentful or living in envy or arrogance or anxiety and insecurity. And we're just never be to free just to be ourselves. Because we're not free to love people and love God when we live for the praise of people. We're walking in darkness. But Jesus came to set us free. Are you ready to die to the people pleasing? You can. You can be free. That's what he came to do. When you realize you're right with the only one whose opinion matters, you can die to it. You can just say, I'm done. That game is over. I will no longer live for what people think. I will live only for what you think, God. That's what he came to allow us to do. So Jesus is going to die, and he's going to invite us to follow him. 
And these Greeks coming to Jesus somehow is a sign. You know, it says these Greeks, these Gentile Greeks come and they find Philip. Philip was a disciple of Jesus who actually had a Greek name, so he must have been safe. So they, he, they come, they say, we want to see Jesus. And Philip goes to his brother Andrew and says, what should we do? Probably because the Pharisees, you know, they, Jews didn't have anything to do with Gentiles. They had to stay on the outside of the temple court. Interestingly, God had provided a place for those who were not Jews to come and worship him the outside of the temple court. And there was a wall between them. And Jesus is going to break down that wall of hostility and make us all one, Jews and Gentiles. That's what he's going to say. But they, 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 they're afraid of what the Pharisees might say. And they decide, forget it. Let's just go tell them. So they tell them, these Greeks want to see you. And Jesus replies, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus becomes very troubled and says, my hour has come. Now, this is a sign. How do we know that? Well, because up until this point, when his mother and brothers were saying something to him, he said, my hour has not come. When his disciples say, you're the Messiah, he says, don't tell anyone. My hour has not come. But when these Greeks come to him, suddenly, my hour has come. They were the sign. It's time to die. And not just for the sins of the Jewish people, but the whole world. They were coming representing the whole world. So Jesus is deeply troubled. He knows this Passover, he's going to be the final sacrificial lamb. And so he says, very truly I tell you, John 12, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus' soul is troubled because he knows he's going to die. All the prophets have foretold it, but it's hard to die. It's hard even for Jesus. And it's hard for us to let go of those things and die to those things we think are going to give us life that he's saying, no, they're not. You know, this is a single corn seed right there. Alone, it's worth very little, isn't it? But do you realize that inside this has the potential for so much life? If it dies, See, if it stays a seed, this is all you get right here. But if it dies, if I bury it in the ground in the right soil and water and light, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. It's going to produce life. And it's going to grow into a stalk of corn, right? And in this stalk, in, in one ear of corn, it can feed animals and it can feed people. It can bring much more life than one seed. And then it's going to grow up into a whole stalk with many ears like this, Right? And if each, do you know that in each one of these ears of corn, it has the potential not only to give life and feed life, but multiply 40 times in every ear. And do you know if, if every ear then gets planted in the ground each year and multiplies 40 times and in just six years, there's enough corn to feed the whole world. I mean, fields and fields of corn. But that little seed has to die. And Jesus is saying, 
If I die, I will bring spiritual life to many. It will multiply. But there's also a spiritual truth for us. If we stay alone protecting our little lives, it's pretty much all we get. But if we die to those things to live for him, life can multiply through us. And so Jesus points to us. Anyone who hates their life will lose it. But anyone who, anyone who loves their life will lose it. But anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I'm like, what? Why does he want us to hate our lives? Well, you gotta understand, Jesus often taught for shock value. You know, Jesus did not actually often do the teaching we do. Like, hey, here are seven habits of highly effective spiritual people. He didn't do that. Here are three steps to a, a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. He didn't teach like that. And the reason is, is because Jesus knew the secret of human happiness is not in making ourselves incrementally a little bit better. It's not it. He knew what brings life to humanity is a total surrender to the one who created us for himself. We were created for God. We were created for God. Humans were made to run on the love of God. And without that, we're like a Christmas toy without batteries. You can use it for a lot of stuff, just not the thing it was intended for. Humans were meant to run on the love and light and life that only God can give. And so Jesus often taught to shock us into realizing, to turn over our preconceived ideas and get us to see how will we really get what we're searching for? You'll only find the life you've always wanted when you put God at the center regularly, daily. And so in a very shocking way, he says, if you really want to follow me into this eternal way of living, if you really want to daily experience this life and light and freedom, this love and joy and peace and power coming through you to the world around you to truly be able to love God and love people because you're not busy trying to please people, you're going to have to hate the life that you've created without me at the center. It's a relative hate. He's not saying hate people. He's not saying hate what he's created. He's saying hate that life of people pleasing. Hate that life of trying to prove yourself to the world more than you care about pleasing me. Hate that life where you're always trying to get people to notice because as long as you love that, You'll hate God whenever he gets in the way of your people-pleasing goals. And Jesus goes further. He says, I'm going to die for you to bring you life, forgiveness, right relatedness to the lover of your soul, eternal peace, a right to live in this new freedom. And you can be free. But first, Jesus says, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. And we say, sure, Jesus, we want to follow you. You're, you're going to die so you can bring us to heaven, right? I'm in. Let's go to heaven. I want to follow you there. And, and, and many Christians call themselves Christ followers thinking that, that, that that's what they signed up for, a free gift of right relationship with God, forgiveness for all their sins, and, and heaven in the future, you know, but do we really want to follow him up the hill to the cross? Or are we really saying, yeah, go on up there. I'll meet you around on the backside. He says, 
The life I want to give you now doesn't come that way. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where is he about to go? The Greeks just came to him as a sign. It's time to die. And so Jesus asked, will you follow me? up that hill and die to all the things the world promises? Will you die daily to the applause of people? Will you die to comparison and jealousy and envy and worry and trying to make it, trying to prove you're worth something to the world that doesn't really even care, trying to be recognized by everybody? That's not God's system. That's the world system. And it's designed to hook you in the nose and lead you and manipulate you. It's the way evil keeps happening. When we try to please people, it leads us into spiritually dark places that hurt us and hurt others. And so Jesus is saying, and he says it even more clearly in another place in Luke 9, 22, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life And then he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever really wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Do you want to follow Jesus? Really? Or really do you want God to do what you want? And as soon as he doesn't, you're going to X him out of your life. You know, just like the people who proclaimed him king and Messiah and lay down palm branches on on day one and on day six say crucify him because he didn't do what they were expecting. He didn't deliver them from the hand of the Roman oppressors. Do we really want to follow Jesus when he asks us to die daily to ourselves? What do you need to nail to the cross this Easter? What people-pleasing patterns need to be killed so that you don't kill the life and guidance that God wants to give you freely? You know, or what are you doing right now that you know is against God's will, but you're doing it to please some person that you've actually elevated above God in your life? You need to die to that if you want the life of God to come through you in this life. Or maybe you're like the leaders of Jesus' day who, yeah, they believed in Jesus, Right, But they were afraid to be rejected by people, and, and so they hid their faith. I mean, are there people around you who, they've known you for a long time, but they know nothing about your faith because you've been scared of what they would think of you? Why? Why does the opinion of people matter at all? They will never, ever have the right to stand in judgment of you. Never. And think about it. Jesus came to assure all of us, them and you and all of us, that God really is the way we were hoping. You know, Jesus said this that last, in the temple that day, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But there is a judge for the one who rejects me. See, God is crazy in love with you, but he's also crazy in love with all your friends and neighbors and even people who reject him. He's not against us. He's for us. He's not against them. He's for everyone. He doesn't stand ready to condemn your friends and neighbors or you. He stands ready to forgive and free us from all worry of all judgment for all time. So we're free to live for him. You know, sometimes we're afraid to 
tell people about how much God loves them. And the truth is because we love their opinion of us more than we love them. Because what better thing could you offer than to tell people how, much, how crazy God is about them? You know, this Easter, we're starting this series, Why God? And we're gonna go after the, the questions that skeptics most ask. You know, why was Jesus necessary? And why does God allow suffering? And, and what about science? Don't science and faith contradict? And we're gonna bring in Dr. Hugh Ross, an astrophysicist who has spent his lifetime looking at science and faith and showing how science actually leads toward a, a reasonable faith. This is gonna be a great opportunity, you know, to invite your skeptical friends and neighbors. Don't fear their opinion. Don't love their opinion of you more than you love them. This series could change their lives. But also, it can change yours. Even if you have faith, it can bolster your faith, and it can help you know why you believe more of what you believe. Jesus said finally, my father will honor the one who serves me. He will honor. You know, imagine all of the glory the world can give. Imagine your face on Time Magazine cover. <laughs> imagine that coveted title, president or CEO. Or imagine the best fill-in-the-blank ever. And it's celebrated across the globe. You, you have arrived. And it will all die. All the glory and honor of the world will pass. So why live for what you cannot keep when God promises you glory and honor that you can never lose? We're going to sing a song as we close. And I want to encourage you to use it to just do business with God right now. What is it that needs to die this Easter? You know, the song is about surrender. And, and let's use this as an opportunity to just talk to God about what is it I need to die daily to today so that I can see your life come through me, so I can truly love you and truly love the people around me. Let's pray. God, Easter is such a great reminder that you are humble. You're unlike the way of the world that tries to force its will on us, and we try to force our will on each other. It just causes so much chaos and fighting. But you, Lord, came humbly to lay down your life for us, to assure us that you won't hold our wrongs and our sins against us, so that we will know we can trust you with everything and not hold anything back. So Lord, help us die to those things today that stand in the way of you fully guiding us, that we might truly become more like you, full of life, and a life that not only gives us life, but gives life to many, many around us. We surrender. 